Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Baltimore in Maryland, population 611,000, is the birthplace of the baseballer Babe Ruth and of the Star-Spangled Banner, the US national anthem. It's a historic port and manufacturing centre, with more heritage buildings than any other US city. But Baltimore's also got an unenviable reputation for crime, drugs and violence. OK, some of this could be down to The Wire. The epic TV series used the gritty city as a backdrop. But there is some basis in reality. One recent survey puts four of America's top ten most dangerous neighbourhoods in the city. Out of the Blocks started up as a short audio project six years ago, an experiment to collect stories by chance and to capture the distinctive sound of individual city blocks. The results were so compelling that the idea expanded out into more neighbourhoods and now it's practically become a franchise, with grant money taking the show to other cities, including Seattle, Detroit, Atlanta and Chicago and also onto the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota earlier this year. I'll speak to Erin Henkin, who started up Out of the Blocks in just a moment. But first of all, here's some of an award-winning episode called 2100 Edmondson Avenue. On WYPR. In Baltimore. It's Out of the Blocks. From the minds of Aaron Hankins and Wendell Patrick. One hour of radio. One city block. Everybody's story. Everybody's story. Everybody's story. Everybody's story. This is 2100 Emerson Avenue. I got two grills cooking, one cooking a case of bacon. I'm cooking a T-bone platter with scrambled cheese eggs and home fries with no onions. And I got a scrapple platter with scrambled cheese eggs and grits. Crystal. I've been working here for eight years, but I've been cooking for 11. Joyce is lucky to have you. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's a pain in the butt, but, um, you know, that's just the personality of this place. It's not always going to be peaches and cream, but it's a place that you know is real. No fake and phony stuff in here. Soul sauce, can I help you? Joyce Smith, 2101 Emerson Avenue. Soul Sauce Restaurant. Turkey, bacon, cheese, eggs, and home steak, home fries, eggs and cheese eggs. Chickpea. Anything else? Cheese on everything. I came from Trinidad and Tobago, and I ended up in Baltimore, Maryland, and this is where I've been since. Seven days a week for 30 years now. I get so much I love from the customers in here. It's better than where I came from. They had no love in them. So you came here, you you had a husband who was here, but he didn't stay? He got deported because he didn't want to do right. So they sent him back, and I stayed back with my four children, and I raised them from working in this breakfast spot for 30 years. What do you think has been the happiest moment of your life? When my children's father got deported. (laughs) It is, it was. 
because he he was abusive. I was glad when they sent him back. And he tried for me to come back, and I told him, no, this is my chance now. I'm going to do me. My name is Jamelia, and my relation to Joyce is she's my mother. Just watching a black woman come up, handling everything merely on her own, I guess it was just embedded in me. Joyce, what do you think, what do you hope your daughter uh, has learned from watching you and learning from you and the way you've lived your life? That she could be just like me. Don't depend on nobody for nothing. Get up and get your own. You know? Hey, come say something about so-so. We're going on the radio. Joyce is a nice person, but she get nasty sometimes. Don't make her mad. Don't make her mad. You make her mad. I don't know. She go crazy on you. She ain't gonna lie to you. She gonna tell you straight up. She's like a mother figure and a grandmother figure mixed in one. Most of the customers been coming here since they was kids, going to school, and now they grown men and women. They still comes in here. So every day you see the same people. Yeah, when she first came here, I was here. She watched a lot of us grow up. Joyce wants to know when you're going to pay your bill. <laughs> never. Never. Streetwise, knowledge in me is like, okay, he's going to try to do something, right? He's nervous. It's probably the first time he didn't done this before. So he's, you know, his, his palms are sweaty. Michael Anderson, 2100 block of Edmondson Avenue. He pretty much asking me for a ride. And I said, you know, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go home. And he said, well, you know, I, I pay you to take me there. I'm like, he said, he was, you know, his, uh, his daughter was sick or whatever. He had to get home to her. So he gave me um, $15 to take him over there. And as we get in our travels, he was like, uh, I need that money back, that paper back. And I'm like, I ain't giving, he said, well, at least give me 10 of it back. I'm like, okay, well, get out right here. So he, as he started wiping his hands on his pants leg, I knew something was gonna happen. And when he, he went in his, in his jacket, and as he was trying to come out of his jacket, I opened the door and tried to push him out. And as he was going out, that's when he fired the first shot. Then he uh, fired the second one, and he told me to get out. And I was so angry that I, you know, I said to him, you don't want that. And he was like, man, get out. And I just, that's when I just put the car in gear and pulled off. And I couldn't see out of my right eye. So I drove, it seemed like forever, but it was uh, about three miles away. I went to uh, the 7-Eleven and asked them to call 911. You drove three miles, have to get a shot in the face. In the face, yep. Face and in the shoulder, yep. So this bullet went in under your eye and then went through and into your neck. Into my neck, yeah. And it knocked out uh, a lot of my teeth up top. Uh, broke a lot of them. They had to take all of them out on both sides up top. I had, you probably really can't see it now, but it was a, a big hole up there. I see you got a, like a, a lump in your neck. Is the bullet still in there? Where, right here? On the side. Yeah, this is the bullet right here. If you could be face to face with this guy who shot you, what would you say to him? Say. <laughs> or do. <laughs> it wouldn't be pretty, put it that way. 
and I, I probably would be incarcerated. You know, part of me wants to see him, but then another part of me don't because I'm trying to, you know, get past this and, and be there for my family. I know if I come face to face with him, then, you know, because where I come from, we don't let things like that go. I got to walk these streets all the time. If people knew that I let that go like that and came, then no telling when I walked in and what else would happen to me. So you know, I should hope not to see him again for real. And he should hope that I don't see him again. If you're just tuning in. You're on 2100 Emerson Avenue. It's out of the blocks. One hour radio. One city block. Everybody's story. Somebody say yeah. Hallelujah. But I'm so glad that there is a man that sits high and look low. His eyes, the Bible says, go to and fro. He behold the good and the evil. Say yeah. My name is Pastor Annette Matthews. My church is Refuge Way of the Cross Church of Deliverance. We're located 2111 Edmondson Avenue. We're Pentecostal, so we like to sing, we like to shout, we like to clap. Lord, it's getting hot up in here. Go ahead. You know why it's getting hot? Because Jesus turning up the fire. Yes. I heard this voice plain as I'm talking to you now. And only thing I can attribute it to is the voice of God. He said, I want you in leadership. Passion is what pushes you. Passion is what ignites your flame. Passion is what sends you forth. Do you remember your first sermon in front of a congregation? Well, my initial sermon was, believe it or not, Fear will destroy you, but faith will deliver you. And that was my sermon because um, I had such a spirit of fear, low self-esteem. I felt like everybody could do it better than me. I can't do it. What's the purpose? You know, and um, so that was my first sermon, um, 2 Timothy 2, 7 and 8. God has not given us a spirit of fear but one of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Jesus said, I give you power! I give you power! I give you power! I give you power! Sometimes they say it's a thankless job, and um, it's been actually a lonely walk. I have been challenged with my husband in sickness, my husband has been um, in the nursing facility for the last four years. He hasn't been there for me, but I've had to be there for him. And that has led me to question, what is going on? Why? I've been faithful, God, and I've served you, and I just don't understand. And actually, I have not gotten an answer in all of these 23 years. I've never lost a Sunday. But now I am in a place where I can't keep going. I don't have the sufficient help here. So my faith has been tested right in these last couple of years. How much longer do you predict that you have in this building? 
the beginning of 2017. That's the date that I've been given as far as a settlement because we have had someone to, um, we've signed contracts that they will purchase the church. However, that does not seem to be going very well. But anyway, we're still here. What do you think your final sermon is going to be about before you guys leave this building? Oh, wow. It will probably be a fought a good fight. This is heavy for my heart, amen, that today we share in the loving memory of the late Reverend Dr. Rome B. Matthews, the overseer of this church and my husband. On Tuesday, the Lord called him home. Praise God. So my husband is in good company. Hallelujah. And I was there every day possible. Leaving from church, you know, and going immediately to the nursing home. And even when I woke up this morning and yesterday, I was saying to myself, I don't know what I'm going to do after church today. Take your time. Take your time, Pat. I don't know what I'm going to do after church because my Sundays have been spent with him. Help a Lord. Praise the Lord. Help a Lord. Help a Lord. Touch a Lord. But nevertheless, I'm still here. But I made the decision a few uh, months ago that I could not continue carrying this heavy load. The load of the church and the ministry and the business aspects of it. and, And I was finding myself being burnt out. And I didn't want the people to suffer from that. So I made the decision to sell the building and close down the church. But how many know the ministry goes on? Because uh, as I've taught you and told you and you know for yourself that it's in us. Praise God. If you plant a seed, someone else may water that seed but only God can give the increase. Thank you so much. Some of 2100 Edmondson Avenue from Out of the Blocks from WYPR. And Aaron Hankin, who makes this show with photographer and musician Wendell Patrick, told me how he came up with the idea. It was one of those light bulb moments that was many years in the making because I'd done different sorts of cultural programming and, you know, always was the holy grail for me to find stories that I didn't know existed. Uh, I actually read the yellow pages cover to cover at one point looking for people with weird jobs. Uh, And of course, you know, that's the phone book with business directory. And so you've got everybody's phone numbers there and you can call them. And I've met all kinds of interesting people that way, people who build and restore pipe organs, people who make artificial limbs and these sort of, you know, uh, characters that are hidden in plain sight kind of became like what is most fascinating to me. And And then this idea for going to a city block was like the perfect excuse to wander into the lives of strangers. 
And it turned out to be like a, a kind of an infinitely repeatable project, too, because I'm not going to run out of city blocks in Baltimore uh, anytime soon. Talk to me, baby. Talk to me, baby. <laughs> That's the way they do it in Indianapolis, 500, baby. Baltimore is a city of many, many neighborhoods. There are actually more neighborhoods in Baltimore, someone told me, than there are in Chicago, which is like, you know, many, many times bigger as in terms of an American city. So for the size of the city that we are, we have a lot of different neighborhoods and people are really proud, sort of tribal about their neighborhoods. And so... People also have a tendency to, like, stay kind of isolated in their neighborhoods, too. So even though, we, you know, we all live in the same city together, there'll be people on the west side of Baltimore who've never, you know, been over to the east side of Baltimore. Or people who live, you know, on the south side of Baltimore who've never been over the uh, Hanover Street Bridge to, you know, downtown Baltimore. I was interested to learn you're actually not from Baltimore yourself, are you? No, no. I'm, I've only been here, I guess, about 18 years. So that makes me still a newcomer. Uh, <laughs> you, don't, you don't get your Baltimore credentials really ever unless you were born here. Uh, I came from the Midwest. I came, uh, you know, uh, from Chicago. So, and I came out here not really knowing much about the city at all. And it was, uh, it was weird when I showed up, but, you know, I really, all I knew about Baltimore was, uh, John Waters movies, who is this sort of American uh, cinematic provocateur, uh, who sort of presents this, uh, very kind of, well, seemingly surreal landscape of Baltimore. But you, you show up here and you realize like, hmm, he's not that far off the mark. Like this is a weird town. Uh, <laughs> In what way? It's a town full of people who wear their hearts on their sleeve. And it's a town where there's a little, very little pretense, a town where people are just going to be real with you the first time you meet them, for the most part. And that's one of the things that makes this town, I think, custom-made for this sort of random documentary project of ours. People love to tell their stories. We're standing on the legendary, most notorious Emerson Avenue, Pulaski Street, 2100 block. Soul Sauce Restaurant. Leoto Savix. Emmy's Food Palace. Refuge Way of the Cross Church of Deliverance. Emlat Restaurant. God Tile Shop. Best used appliances. Best appliances in town. 2126 Emerson Avenue. 2121. 2121. 2121. 2121. 2121. 2121. 2121. 2121. 2121. And to let people ask me questions and to, in a casual way, start to get to know who's who, you know, who's interested in sharing stories. And then the taping starts. And that may go for, you know, a couple of weeks. And momentum will build on that. We'll end up with, who knows, 20, 25 hours of audio. And then we cut it all into, you know, what ends up being less than an hour. So it's not a very time-efficient way to make a, a program, but it, it's uh, the process yields um kind of unusual results. It sure does. I mean, you end up with this amazing kind of mosaic of different stories all woven together. And we'll talk a little bit about the music because that's an important part of it. You've got lovely audio sound effects. There's atmosphere. You get a feeling of being in a, in a particular place. How does it change your relationship? You've, you've gone out there into these neighbourhoods. You've built up a bit of trust and rapport with someone. 
How does it change that relationship when you do pull out the recorder, though, and they go on to tape? Because that can change things, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. It always does. There's, I guess you could say, like a, a spectrum of skepticism in any group of people. And on any given block, there are some people who will gravitate to a microphone and some people who will shy away from a microphone. And it's just, a, I guess, a function of just being there with the microphone out all the time for long enough that people just get used to you, you know, the novelty of the guy with the microphone wears off after a while. And then, you know, that's when you actually start to be able to relate to people. And it's something that happens after we've gotten to know each other as well. So I'm not showing up the first time I meet them with the microphone. But, you know, I guess it's one of the beautiful things about podcasting and about radio is that you have such a smaller technological footprint when you do audio. You know, everything I use fits in a little public radio tote bag. And, um, you know, it's gear, but if you are used to using it, you know, it's like a magician. If, if, if it doesn't appear to be there for you, you can make it not that big of a deal for other people. Yeah, it's very different, for example, than going in with a whole film crew and makeup people and everything else. You're, you can go into neighbourhoods a little bit on the down low, I suppose, if you're recording material and you've got it all in your little bag there. You're not drawing a whole heap of attention to yourself. Right. And, you know, I keep saying we. I should explain. I co-produced this program with um, a gentleman here in Baltimore named Wendell Patrick. He's an electronic musician. He does the original musical scoring for every episode. That You mentioned the music in the episodes. That's, that's Wendell's work. And Wendell is also a great uh, portrait photographer. So we will, when we get to know people, make really nice photo portraits of them, too. You can see galleries of everybody. And it's interesting. People, sometimes people are really shy about getting their picture taken. Or sometimes people will love to get their picture taken, but really, really shy about doing an interview. So, you know, it just, it just depends on the person. Shorty, they call me Shorty. Why do they call you that? Probably because I'm only about five feet. That's probably why I got that name. Five feet of fun. Say your name? Gregory. Also known as Foot. How'd you get that nickname? Well, you know, I was always tall and my foot was big, so it just gave me the name Foot. How, how tall are you? I'm 6'7". You're five feet tall. Yeah. And your partner is six foot five, seven. Six seven, yeah. What a combination, ain't it? <laughs> At first, we didn't even conceive of this thing as a series. It was just an experiment. You know, like I said, an excuse to meet a random cross-section of strangers and to think about this city block, this kind of like urban honeycomb of existence where all these different lives are all happening simultaneously, one adjacent wall, next one next to the, the, the one beside it. And what would that sound like if you could sort of be a fly on the wall and hear a little bit of each of those stories? When you spend all day, every day, talking with random strangers around your city, it can really change you in a profound way, just psychologically. As a person, it's totally transformed my way of being I love it. I live for talking to strangers at this point. And, you know, you get used to people kind of chuckling at you or being, you know, or scowling at you or whatever kind of reaction they may have. And then you also get to enjoy what happens when their defenses, when they decide to let their defenses down and have like a genuine sort of substantive human interaction with a total random stranger. And you both sort of walk away from that experience feeling great. I saw graffiti on a wall one time that said, the best conversation you'll ever have will be with a complete stranger. Mm. And it really is true. It's one, It's like 
always the best part of my day when I've met some new random person and, and now I know that person. And people still have the capacity to surprise you with the stories. Oh, yeah. Man, it never it never ceases to blow my mind what people are ready, willing, and able and eager to share about their lives, whether it's, you know, absolutely tragic or whether it's told with such, like, comic self-awareness or whether it's just something that someone wants to tell you that they're proud about. And, you know, the drama in anyone's life is just, it's incredible. I have a friend who's a divorce lawyer, and he says, if everybody stood in a circle and uh, each person in that circle threw their problem into the middle of the circle so everyone else could see it, everyone in that circle would quietly walk to the middle and grab their own problem back and gladly take it and put it back in Mm. their pocket. That's an interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? Yeah. It must give you... uh, quite a lot of, I I, I don't know the right word to use, but now when you walk through your city, do you do so with a greater sense of, I don't know, confidence? Because it seems to me like blocks and neighbourhoods are quite a divisive thing, or they can be if people are associated with a particular block or a neighbourhood. Doing this must break down those barriers for you or those boundaries for you or what you, your preconceptions about a certain area, the crime there or whatever. I think what makes people feel scared about a given part of a given city, whatever city it is, is their unfamiliarity with it. And once you show up and meet a half a dozen people on a block and then go back and then the next couple of days you've met a half a dozen more, all of a sudden you know more people on that block than you know on your own block. And that place feels completely comfortable to you because you've built relationships. I think what people are scared of is just not knowing and not understanding a place. I don't want to be naive. I mean, I, I go, I hang out in a lot of areas. I mean, I've, I've gone and done episodes of our program on blocks that are open air drug markets. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a Pollyanna about the whole experience. I mean, I, I understand. I've talked with guys who during our interviews, they'll, they'll say, yeah, I've been shot, you know, five, seven times. And I'll say, where'd that happen? And they'll say, it happened right here, on, right where we're standing, on this corner. They started shooting. I started shooting. I got hit. They didn't get hit. That was, that was a, 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 a horrific moment in my life, you know what I'm saying? Because I couldn't have lost my life. I got shot in my foot, my leg, and my side. I ran from Emerson and Monroe all the way to Monroe and Lafayette before I realized I got shot. I got to the gas station, and I collapsed. That's the only way I knew that I was shot. Now, the this that did hit me, project oh is sort of the structural opposite of the way that a lot of journalism is done. And what I mean by that is the journalism model commonly followed is we want to make a story about topic X. Let's go to this neighborhood and ask people about topic X until they say the things that we need to fill in the gaps that will complete our story about topic X. Whether that topic is, you know, schools or crime or gun violence, whatever your topic you've wandered in there wanting to know about. What we do is that we we have the radical agenda of having no agenda. We show up and we just ask people about life and let them steer the conversations. And I think... What I've learned is that when you ask people 
to talk about what they're interested in talking about instead of what you're interested in talking about, you end up with much more profound and surprising and meaningful conversations. Well, you have that random kind of serendipity factor, don't you, that you would completely strip out the process if you did it in a conventional, linear news, if I could use that term, format. Yeah, there is a magic to just being there physically, hanging out in a space where life is happening and letting people get used to you and to get to know you. So many of my most incredible conversations I've had have just been on the spot. They're not the kinds of conversations that you can book by email or phone call. They're the kind of conversations that happen when someone who you've met introduces you to their friend who's wandering by, and that friend takes a shine to you, and next thing you know, you know, they're telling you something incredible. Erin Henkin, the producer and presenter of Out of the Blocks from the public radio station WYPR in Baltimore, Maryland. And you can find a great video and a list of Erin's favourite podcasts on our website now. That's at rnz.co.nz forward slash podcast hour. Thanks for listening to the podcast hour from RNZ. If you're finding it helpful to find new stuff to listen to, then please do consider rating or reviewing us with as many stars as you can manage wherever you get your podcasts from and tell your friends and family about us too. And if you're writing a review, then do let us know what you like about the show or how it could be improved. So if you'd like to hear longer clips, more interviews with the people making the shows that we feature, and if four shows is about the right number to highlight each week, that kind of stuff, it would be really helpful to know. Thanks a lot.